It's time now for the complete story, a public news and information feature of Bot Radio Network to keep you informed about the most important issues of our day. Now here's the BRN father and son team, Dick and Rich Bot, with today's complete story. I tell you what, Rich, there's so much in my heart right now that I want to talk about today, and I want to acquaint them with the whole idea of the things that are happening right now this weekend. There are thousands and thousands of American citizens from all over the country who are going to Washington, and they're going to their state capitals, and they're gathering in various places all over the country because this is Pro-Life Sunday weekend. Is that right? That's right, and Friday was the March for Life in Washington and observances at state capitals all over. Well, man, listen to what you've just said, the March for Life. You would suppose everybody would want to be there. You would think everybody, what would be the challenge against people who want to protect life? Ever since Roe versus Wade, they've been there to march, regardless of how cold and how bad the weather is. All right, Rich. I'll tell you what, folks. The media are not their friend. I want to tell you, you watch the television reports and you watch the whatever's printed in the paper. It'll be short acknowledgement, if at all, and then they will automatically always have quite a bit of coverage of the other little tiny group that's there to support. I'm going to use this, Rich. I'm going to use this word because this is what it is. It's death. The death of an unborn child somehow as a right And, Rich, we've worked ourselves into a pattern here since Roe v. Wade, 1973, to start not liking it as Christians. I'm talking to our audience now. Not liking it, but accommodating it and not taking it as seriously as we should. Bible-believing Christians should take the subject of life, the life of a little baby, very seriously and examine the subject enough to know what they're talking about. Rich, uh, the media will not like to say this, but it's true. Here's a quote that said, a lie doesn't become truth, wrong doesn't become right, and evil doesn't become good just because it's accepted by a majority. Or could I even say a powerful minority? That's the way bad things happen, isn't it? That's right. And you can't have something that's politically correct if it's morally wrong. You know, Rich, the whole problem from the very beginning of this life question, plus slavery, plus the Holocaust, plus everything else, is that human nature is as evil left to its own devices as anything could be. It's to be worried only about self, my child, my life, my future, what I want, that's kind of born into it, isn't it? And that's what's so wonderful about the pro-life movement, especially this weekend where so many people all across the country are standing up for the rights of someone else, standing up for the rights of the unborn, the innocent unborn child. Now, do you remember the first time you and I went to Washington because we wanted to see who are these people, what it's about, how many are coming from what churches, who are the speakers, who is making this happen? Do you remember the impression we had? Well, yes, they're coming from all over the country and from every walk of life. And they are the nicest, sweetest, kindest. There's no trash. Look, folks, I see everything. 
There's no trash. There's no papers. There's no uh, all sorts of stuff that the park department has to get in and clean up afterwards. The pro-life movement are the nicest human beings of all colors, by the way, of all nationalities, of all different churches. But the one thing they have in common is respect for life as it's taught in the Word of God. That's called the Bible. That's right. Well, here we go. And I didn't know whether to address this issue from the standpoint of a politician or a preacher. And I made a decision that we're Christians. Let's hear what the preacher has to say about this subject. And I'm just asking our audience to really think more deeply than they ever have before. Now, here is a message by Reverend Lawrence White of Our Savior Lutheran Church in uh, Houston, Texas. And he is talking about when he took his sons to Germany, where they could see where their people had come from, their ancestors, and kind of look it over. What on earth was happening in Germany that would permit the Holocaust, that would permit people to be killed, done away with in the ovens? How could you explain that? He wanted his sons to see it, for it was real, because they know they're nice people. They know their dad's a preacher. But he wanted to take the time that his teenage sons could see the country that gave us the Holocaust against the Jewish people. We're going to have Martin Luther King, uh, you know, birthday celebration very soon. It's right here now, as a matter of fact. And you look around, who were the people that allowed him to be shot in Memphis, Tennessee in 1968 because there wasn't freedom? to apply for the job that you were qualified for. There wasn't freedom and openness to be able to be a person and apply for whatever job. It was kind of the sanitation strike, as you remember. I can't take a lot of time here, but that is always the problem until finally you get down to the most innocent among us. Folks, are you listening? I'm talking to a Christian audience now. Have you been taking it as seriously as you should? Well, when I heard Lawrence White speak, and I don't know if he talks like every Lutheran minister. I imagine he doesn't. I know there are many Baptist preachers that are genuinely pro-life and some that aren't. Shame, shame, shame. I know that's true of every church group. So I'm not talking about church groups. I'm talking about you. How do you feel about it? And this is what Lawrence White Uh, preached many years ago, the sin of silence, the sin of silence. And I ask you to turn your radio up and listen to this with me and never forget it. Here it is. I've been traveling across the length and breadth of this great land over the last few years, talking primarily to pastors groups, seeking to awaken and arouse God's spokesmen among us to be what God has called them to be, to preach his word without apology, without hesitation, without reluctance. And that means that I've spent a considerable amount of time away from my family. And so I was very pleased this past January, end of last December, to have the opportunity to take my two sons, Adam, who's 23, and Aaron, who's 20, with me on a trip to Germany. 
As a Lutheran Christian, that's where my historic and theological roots are, and I wanted the boys to see where they came from and to get some context, I guess you could call it, a setting in which to evaluate and assess what's happening in our country and in their lives. And so we flew out of Houston on Christmas Day. We landed in Berlin on December the 26th. The end of December, the beginning of January is a wonderful time to go to northern Germany because all the sane people have left northern Germany. The sun comes up at 10.30 in the morning and it goes down at 3.30 in the afternoon and in between it snows. <laughs> well, one afternoon we rented a van and we drove out into the countryside about 35 kilometers or so northeast of Berlin to a little farming community called Oranienberg. Not much there, a couple of taverns, a couple of gas stations, a few houses. That's about it. And nobody would ever have heard of that little town were it not for the fact that Heinrich Himmler chose Oranienberg as the site of one of his prototype concentration camps. A horrible place called Sachsenhausen. That means the home of the Saxons. I took the boys there that day because I wanted them to see what had happened to this great Christian nation, this homeland of the Reformation, almost overnight. And the boys grew quiet as we walked across the vast expanse where the barracks once stood that held hundreds of thousands of prisoners. During the 12 years of the Hitlerreich, we saw the bales of human hair and the piles of children's shoes. We went to the medical laboratories where gruesome experiments were conducted on living human beings without anesthetic because they were not viewed as human because of their race or their language. And finally, we walked to the back, where far in the corner, the crematorium once stood, the oven where they burned the bodies of the dead. And out in front of it was a grotesque wrought iron statue of two emaciated inmates hauling the dead body of one of their cohorts toward the gaping doors of the oven. The building itself had actually collapsed. They'd buried so many people underneath it that the foundations had been undermined. But the metal supports that once held those ovens were still there. And as we came up there, three days after Christmas, in front of the doorway to that crematorium, there was a withered Christmas wreath with a white ribbon on it. And the slogan on that ribbon said, from the Christians of Germany, we kneel before God in bitter regret and humble repentance and we ask his forgiveness for the Jews and all the others who died in this place. And as we turned to walk away, out across the compound once again, my 20-year-old Aaron put his arm around me in the condescending way that sons have with their fathers. And he looked at me and he said, Dad, you need to keep giving those speeches that you've been giving. And I felt good. Because for the first time, my boys understood within the depths of their hearts what's happening in America today. But there in Sachsenhausen, for the very first time, they saw for themselves how much is at stake in our America. 
and how desperately important these issues are and how much we stand to lose if we do not awaken and rouse ourselves quickly. The Christians of Germany learned only too late that the people of God in Christ cannot disengage from the culture in which they live. We cannot withdraw to the comfortable security of our beautiful sanctuaries and sit in our padded pews while the world all around us goes to hell. For to do so is a betrayal of the Lord whose name we bear. And it is a denial of the power and the efficacy of his word, the word that he has given us to proclaim. In Germany, as here in the United States, one of the most clever tools in the enemy's arsenal used to silence and intimidate Christians, to drive them out of the public square, was the lie of the separation of church and state. There was a meeting held in the German capital city of Berlin in 1934. Hitler had been chancellor for just over a year at that point. He was taking the nation through a process which in German was called Gleichschaltung. That means coordination. Everything was being realigned in terms of national socialist philosophy, and that included the churches. And protests had begun to rise from the people of God about this interference in the church and its life. And so Hitler called together the most important preachers in the land. And he gathered them there at the Reichschancellery to reassure them and to intimidate them, if he could, to silence their criticism so that he could go on with his plans for the country. And Hitler moved through the crowd that day, patting the preachers on the back, making them feel important, smiling and reassuring. He told them their state subsidies would continue, their tax exemptions were secure, that the church had nothing to fear from a Nazi government. And finally, one brash young preacher who was there, Martin Niemöller was his name, had had enough. Today we'd call him politically incorrect. He was going to tell the truth, even if that truth was not popular. And he pushed his way to the front of the room until he stood eye to eye with the German dictator. And he said, Herr Hitler, our concern is not for the church. Jesus Christ will take care of his church. Our concern is for the soul of our nation. It was immediately evident that the brash young preacher spoke only for himself as a chagrin silence fell over that room and his colleagues hustled him away from the front. Hitler, with a natural politician's instinct, saw that reaction, and he understood exactly what it meant, and he smiled as he said to himself almost reflectively, the soul of Germany, you can leave that to me. And they did. They kept their religion and their politics strictly separate from one another. And as the innocent were slaughtered and the nation was led down the path to destruction, they looked the other way and they minded their own business. And their country was destroyed. I would submit to you today that we in America find ourselves in a frighteningly similar predicament. Once again, 
The innocent are being slaughtered in a 26-year holocaust that makes Hitler look like a humanitarian by comparison. Once again, the nation is being led down the path to destruction. And once again, by and large, God's people are looking the other way. I don't have to tell anyone in this room tonight how far down that path to destruction we've already traveled. You see the evidence in families that are fractured and marriages that are broken in young people that lose their way and often their lives in a maze of alcohol and drugs in a culture that can no longer distinguish between lust and love, that is willing to tolerate the vilest perversion as alternate acceptable lifestyle while pestilence stalks the land, in public schools that have become facilitators for fornication and procurers for the abortionist knife, in a nation that has lost the moral will to distinguish between that which is right and that which is wrong, we know all too well how far down that road to destruction we have already gone. And that's because in large part every time a Christian, particularly a Christian pastor, raises his voice on a matter of public policy, the immediate hue and cry from the media, from the political and educational elite and establishment is, wait a minute, we have the separation of church and state in this country. You Christians, you keep your morality to yourselves. As history repeats itself, they smile reassuringly as they tell us the soul of America. You can leave that to us. And we have. Brothers and sisters, the time has come and is long since past when we stopped listening to and being immobilized by these lies from the father of lies. This is the genius of America. The recognition that a country like ours, a country where the people rule, must be a country where morality prevails. But that's not the kind of country that we have seen developing all around us every day. That's not the kind of country we read about when we pick up the newspapers every morning. America has forgotten who she is. And if she does not remember soon, it will be too late. In the 1830s, a French nobleman named Alexis de Tocqueville came from Europe to this new land to see what it was that gave America its vitality and its strength. And he toured across this country. He saw all that there was to see, and when it was done, he summed it up in these impassioned words. He said, I sought the key to the greatness and the genius of America in her harbors, in her fertile fields, in her boundless forests, in her rich mines, in her vast world commerce, in her public school system and institutions of learning. I sought for it in her democratic Congress and in her matchless constitution, but it was not until I went into the churches of America and heard her pulpits aflame with righteousness that I understood the secret of her genius and her power. America is great, de Tocqueville said, because America is good. And if America ever ceases to be good, 
then she will also cease to be great. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is an offense to any people. There is that indissoluble connection between greatness and goodness upon which this country was built. We have severed that connection over the last few decades. We have sown the wind of immorality and we are reaping the whirlwind of destruction and death. And we, God's people in Christ, have been placed here by the Lord for such a time as this. America will not turn from the path of destruction until the Christians of this land stop blending in and going along. We have become a chameleon church. We can blend in anywhere. We can go along with anything, no matter how perverse it may be. Just so long as no one figures out that we are sons and daughters of the Lord Jesus Christ. For then we might have to endure the scorn and the ridicule of the world. We must stop compromising and yielding. We must start standing and in confessing. But as we do so, we must be sure that it is the Lord Jesus for whom we stand. We cannot allow ourselves, our churches, to be used and abused by politicians, by political parties. God is not the mascot of the Republican Party. God is not a Democrat. God is not even an American, which may come as something of a shock. <laughs> but of this one thing, we can be absolutely certain. The Lord God Almighty hates the murder of innocent unborn children. We can win the next election or the next 10 elections. We can balance the budget. We can reduce the deficit. We can bring down taxes and build the mightiest military machine on the face of the earth. But if we do not stop abortion, then God will destroy and God should destroy America. <laughs> abortion is an unholy altar that we have raised up to pagan gods of our own lust and greed. And the blood of more than 35 million innocent unborn children cries out to God for justice from the ground of America. And the day is coming soon when God will heed that cry. And when he does, woe to us and woe to America. On that great day of reckoning, it will not be enough to say, Lord, we were in church every Sunday. We built great churches in your name. We established great programs in your name. We raised millions of dollars in your name. On that great day of reckoning to those who stood silent while the killing went on, the Lord will say, depart from me, you cursed ones, for I do not know you. But in the amazing grace, the incredible mercy and long-suffering of our wonderful God, that day has not yet come. 
America may have turned her back on God, but God, for some reason, has not yet turned his back on America. So let us work while it is still day, before the night comes when no man can work. Let us rouse the Christians of this city and of this land to be what God has called and enabled them to be, the stinging salt that stops the decay of death, the shining light that dispels the darkness of doubt and despair, the gleaming city set high upon a hill that stands as a beacon light of life and hope to this nation and to every nation. Let us learn from the mistakes of the past. Let us stand upon the word of God. Let us save this country that we claim to love as we become involved in the process in this crucial moment that God has given us. God is placing before us a challenge before it is too late. And I pray that we will find within the depths of our hearts and souls the courage and the faith and the conviction to rise to that challenge and make the most of that opportunity. It is within our power because God has placed it there. It is within our grasp to change this America before it is too late, to snatch our country back from the brink of destruction. All the signs of the deadly decay all around us are unmistakably clear. Our nation's leaders wallow in decadence and deceit, while the polls tell us that the people don't care, and apathy and indifference prevails. We must care as the people of God in Christ. We must be the salt and the light and the shining city. As Christians gathered here today, let us resolve not to repeat the mistakes of the past. Let us resolve not to allow evil men to triumph simply because good men have done nothing. Let us stand together as the people of God, bold in the confidence of the Spirit, and declare before our nation the soul of America, you can leave that to us. Thank you. All right, Bot Radio Network family, this message was for you. Where does the number, Rich, the people can call? 1-800-345-2621. 1-800-345-2621. We want to hear from you. We want to hear from you. Have we struck a chord today? This is Dick Bot with this chapter of The Complete Story as a public service. I'll see you later.